The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and Friends. Welcome along to another episode of The Boys of Tech. In fact, not just another episode. This is the very first episode of The Boys of Tech for 2013. It is episode 197 for the week commencing Monday the 14th of January 2013. My name is Edwin Herman, live in the studio here in Wellington. Joining me over Skype is our most regular panellist, his name is Brett King. Welcome to the show, Brett. Howdy. You know, Brett, it is the, our first show for the year. We had a great set of episodes last year, finishing up, of course, with with uh, the Met Service, who who kindly fronted the show and some drinks afterwards. Uh, anyway, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, <laughs> which was not part of the deal, by the way. That's not how we get guests on the show at all, or how they <laughs> get to go on the show. It's nothing to do with that. But you know what? I thought for the first episode of the year, we'd include, as we normally do, a bunch of stuff from CES. However, a couple of stories before that, I want to kick off with Amazon Auto Rib. Now, this story uh, surfaced, I think, just last week. It's called Auto Rip. What it is, is when you buy a CD from Amazon, you get not only the CD, but you get a digital ripped copy of that CD. Cool. So you don't have to rip it yourself. That's right. You don't have to rip it yourself. And it is stored in a, you know, in a cloud storage account with Amazon. In Amazon's cloud storage, yeah. Um, Thoughts? Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Is it only playable through the Amazon Music Player? You see, that's what I have been trying to figure out. I know it is. Or but is, is it, it the only a yeah. MP3 that you can also download and like stick into iTunes? Yeah, I couldn't quite <laughs> figure that one out in the short time I had to research the story. Uh, it was kind of a last-minute story, to be honest, that I uh, added in. But I was wondering the same thing. Maybe one of our listeners, yeah. uh, I'm sure our listeners out there, someone will know, and they can drop us a, a line or add, add, add a comment on the on the, uh, on the the story at boysoftech.com. But that's <laughs> a very good question because I know what you're, where you're coming from, Brett. I, I think you're saying that if it's only playable with their sort of uh, – with their – proprietary player it's probably not that of that much value as it would be yeah it just, it it's just a, a music streaming device. service yeah of your own cds which is just still cool because it does mean that you can get access to all of your music wherever you are in the world on any device that the music the amazon music player works on but it, it would be cool if you could also just get it as an mp3 you could put on your mp3 player you know, I must admit though, but, but yeah, I, I, still said, see, I couldn't see anything which said anyone. <laughs> Either way, I can't help thinking though when I see the story, I, the, I I keep thinking the same thing over and over in my head, and that is, why not just download anyway? Well, what's the point of buying the CD? <laughs> because some people like to have a physical copy. Yeah, it's just the way it is. Some people but, like to have a, a, a physical thing. It's, a, it's like you go, well, why do people still buy DVDs, etc.? Yeah, but surely those... you can get stuff through video streaming services. I, I can understand because that, but surely... Because people like to be able to watch it and listen to it when they don't have the internet. 
but surely they don't care about the ripped version then. I think it's more the ease of use of the fact that you don't have to rip your own CDs then. You can have the CD as your, your physical copy to play in those things which you have which might not do it or for when you don't aren't near technology that can support MP3s. Some people have very expensive, you know, stereo systems which are still not, you know, there's no USB port to plug in your MP3s or they don't have an iPod dock. Oh, yeah, so they're buying CDs. So, but, so but of course, other CD times, track. I see what you're saying. Other people will be saying that a CD is better quality than what most of the MP3s mm. are. Others will complain the other. It's mm. the reason there's, you know, a resurgence in vinyl. <laughs> people buy records again because a lot of audiophiles prefer the sound and the range which comes through vinyl. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I guess I can I can understand why there are people buying CDs, and I can understand why other people buy downloads. I I just didn't really see this crossover. Like, why would you buy a CD and get a download? Uh, to me, the people who buy well, CDs, you get the download for free, and it helps people who are you know not super good at ripping their own MP3s. I suppose I, I guess Amazon sees a market for it and I'm sure yeah. they would have done their research so we can only assume that it's going to work They've Indeed, chosen and, and a, it's, it's free stuff it's it's not you don't yeah you don't charge it. anymore that's right you just get yeah, it it comes with you, yeah. you just get it but it's not that it's not that you just get it it's if you've bought any CD from them since they started you can get the MP3 version. Yeah, that they've uh, selected 50,000 CDs that are eligible for uh, auto rip. So, so if you have bought a CD that is one of those 50,000 CDs from Amazon since Amazon started back in the 90s, you can get access to MP3 or streaming over the internet versions of those songs for free. And chances are you will have your stuff will be uh, in that list because what they've done to compile the list is basically taken the best sellers over the last yeah. 15 years. <laughs> mm. All of the most popular CDs are the ones in that list. That's right. I think yeah. it's, it's a good value added extra. Cool. All right. That's um, free. It, it's only available in the US at the moment, by the way, we should point out. So for yes, any listeners out indeed. there, unless you're in the US, uh, you won't be able to use this. But uh, obviously those who are can take advantage of this pretty much straight away. Mm. Cool. All right. Thanks, Brett, for your thoughts on that one. Moving on to Windows RT has been jailbroken. A security well, it's not really jailbroken. It's a really cool hack. Mm, well, it depends what you want to call it. <laughs> I like it, that but... quote because <laughs> it's not really a jailbreak. Well, it, it allows you to run Win32 code. Mm. The, the full desktop. Is that not a jailbreak? I don't know. I think it is not because really? it's artificially locked down on uh, certain devices. Yeah, yeah I guess well, depending on your, how, how you want to define what a jailbreak really is. But it, it's it's kind of a a a I wouldn't class it as jailbreak jailbreak because jailbreak's kind of got extra that goes with it. It's like something that you do once and then you can do what you want. This is more a quite a complicated step by step process that you have to do each and every time you want to run. Oh yeah, it's not a once only thing, is it? You have to yeah, yeah. do it. It's each not time. even a once every time you reboot the machine. You can get jailbreaks for iPhones and Android devices, etc., which can be done once and then that's it. And then you can get 
when when they're first doing jailbreaks, you will get some which might require you to re-jailbreak it every time you power the device fully off and then fully back on again. You might need to re-jailbreak it then. But this is a, yeah, I wouldn't class it in the same, I wouldn't give it the jailbreak name. I, I would, I would class it as a cool hack instead because of the fact that you have to do it each, you have to do this step-by-step process each and every time you want to run something else. Yeah, and it is it is quite linked. You have to go into a debugger because you're modifying code and memory. Indeed, you've got to you've got to have administrative privileges on your on your Windows RT device. You've got to download a debugger. You've got to run what you want to run, and you've got to capture it with the debugger. And at that point, change its security level so that the Windows RT operating system lets it continue to run. Now, Microsoft have said that they may well close this in the, fu- in the future. Their quote is, will not guarantee these approaches will be there in future releases. Yeah, yeah. So they're well, aware of a it. A lot of that will be because you will get people who will do it and go, oh, it means I can run all my Win32 stuff uh, on my ARM processor and on my Windows RT. And Microsoft has not designed the, the Windows RT experience to support Win32 applications. Whether they can or cannot uh, run is really dependent on what the application itself is attempting to do. But Windows doesn't want to have people come to it going, oh, I, I've got this thing, it allows me to run this, but it won't run right. Or, oh, I've run this and it's crashed everything. So they're not going to guarantee that they're going to keep a hack that allows people to, to run stuff which was not designed to run on that on those devices. Now, do you have a Windows IT device? You Didn't you buy a, a Surface? No, no, I'm still waiting for the Surface Pro. I said I was going to get a Pro. Oh, you're going to get the Pro. Yeah. So that has the full desktop environment. Yeah, yeah, that's, it that's it's not Windows that, RT. It's an Intel. Right, okay. Okay. It's an Intel system. Because my next question a, was going to be system. have you have you tried this hack was going to be my next question. No, no. But obviously not. But we should yet. ask um who is it? Uh, Al? No, Cam. Oh, Cam, one of the two. Cam? Oh yeah, one of the two has a Windows surface. Cuz he, ah, he right. Skyped in on it, remember? Ah, yeah, that's who I was thinking. I was thinking them. of one of those two then. Those are yeah. our other regular panelists for those of you who who have just joined the show. So we need to ask whichever one of, whichever one of those guys <laughs> has the RT surface. Um is he's done this. I, if he, or, or if he could do it for us and see if he can run something which is explicitly a Win32 device, a Win32 application. And also find out how long, you know, in actual minutes it takes, you know, when you become au fait with the process. Yeah, it's yeah. still quite an onerous, yeah. Or, or and it- also how you know how it affects the usage of the device, because mm. as the as the you know when any of these sorts of hacks come out, the the, the different journalists and news agencies always ask uh, the security analysts, the, the antivirus people, and systems intrusions people for their quotes and comments on this sort of stuff. And one of the guys, I, I think it was the one of the reps from Semantic but I'm not 100% sure because I'm not looking at the story right now, <laughs> was saying that, you know, this is a really cool hack, but it's not designed to run those applications or in that manner. And just with any of these sorts of hacks where you actually go in and physically alter running running code, because that's what basically what you're doing. The, the code started to run and you're then running a debugger to intercept 
the process and to alter the code it's running as it's going. But yeah, so you, you end up with the situation where what you have changed, suddenly that application starts to go wonky, starts to leak memory. Um, it crashes other parts of your operating, uh, other parts of the, the operating system start to freeze or not work anymore. So, so you do open yourself up to a lot of... So there of, are some risks. Could be, yeah, there are lots of risks to it. But as... Um, most of the other um, people they were talking to had said, this is not something that you would call a, um, you know, an exploitable no, vulnerability. No, no, it's not a, it's, no. It's something that you actually have to physically go and do. That's so right. you, you're not going to get a virus which onto your Windows RT device, which will use this way to, to hack into anything. Because what you, this is a pretty explicit step-by-step -step process that you need to be able to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Uh, and you know, the thing is, once you know, once you do muck around with a device like that, whether it be this or, for example, jailbreaking an iPhone, really all bets are off. You know, you you know, oh, yeah. it, it may once be more vulnerable code, at that point, been, and you have to accept which that. Which has not either been properly not been signed or certified for the device. You, you, you always run run risks, but most people who jailbreak their devices are willing to accept that, accept mm. that risk for the the fact that they can. To then do whatever they want with the hardware, but they just have to yeah go accept the risk that they're going to void warranties if there are warranties in that sort of situation, or they're going to make their device unstable. But the neat part about this particular one is, in theory, you should just be able to turn off your Surface and reboot it, and everything should be okie dokie. Yeah, true. And in you're theory, not yeah. anything, anything really, you know. Finger quotes physical in the device. Mm. You are just altering some currently running code, and once you quit the app or close and reboot the RT system, it should start up by default again. So it's relatively safe. It's relatively safe, and but of course, it's not advisable, though, right? You don't unless you want to. You're an experimenter for the average user. You wouldn't yeah, go tell someone to do this, really right? You're not really going to get a, a heck of a lot of benefit out of it, I don't think. Because the, the average user who's bought a tablet device is buying a tablet device for its tabletiness, <laughs> yeah, it's for tablet its media yeah. consumption capabilities, not as a super productivity tool where they want to be able to run the their old version of Office 97 <laughs> on oh, it. Goodness me, I remember Instead Office 97. Instead of getting the... the the Office app through the App Store. Yeah. All right, now, Brett, I want to move on to the, the story about the UK has reported that there are still 13,000 black and white TV licenses kicking about. However, I want to point something else out, that a black and white TV license costs £49 a year, a colour license costs £145 yeah, a year. Yeah. What I, I do you think is really going on? Do you really think there are 13,000 well, black and white TVs in the UK? quite possible that it's the same reason that there are Lamborghinis in London which are licensed as taxis so that they can use the taxi-only lanes. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's some, some of it will be people who still have black and white TVs because that's what they've got. Because you always get people who you know, can never throw away a piece of hardware. Sure. Or they might have a classic black and white television that they like. Or they might like the, the look and style of a, a black and white, you know, a, a significantly colorblind or a person who's had a, a brain injury that has rendered their color perception, you know, neutral, um, would get no benefit out of having a color yeah, television. Right. So yeah, exactly. They might yeah. stick with their black and white television that they had. They might not even know that they're 
television is still black and white. Um, but yeah, you'll definitely have some of those people as people misrepresenting what their television is. Yeah, see, I'm thinking... Yeah, sure, I've got a a home theatre system, 700 (laughs) DVDs. 3D, maybe? Yes, and a 55-inch black and white television LCD. (laughs) Sony. 3D black and white, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. So I think part of... Yeah, I think you're right, Brett. There's there's probably some legitimate ones in there, but Mm. there's probably also a significant amount that, you know, are are thinking, well, if I say it's a black and white TV, I only have to pay a third of the cost. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's two-thirds cheaper. They also said that some of those people who have who state that they've got black and white TVs uh, might, you know, lower socioeconomic uh, groups who perhaps only have a black and white TV. Right. It so, is so there like are some a, legitimate ones in there probably. Yeah, yeah, I would say there'd be legitimate ones in there. Um, and I think their prediction uh, is probably how it would go as well. You know, eventually they will, the, the, the number will whistle down more and more and more. And, but I don't think it will ever fully disappear. Because you will always have people who, you know, have perhaps they're a collector. They've got a bunch of classic televisions. <laughs> Just seems crazy. Oh yes. Well, you know, yeah, you, you're probably right. Oh, if you don't it, think. You know, watching one of those classic black and white movies, and just adding the nostalgic factor of watching that black and white movie on the television set that it was designed. Yeah, that'd for. be cool. That'd be cool. Uh, take you back, all right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know that my family was a late adopter of of color television. Oh right, yeah, yeah. back in uh, eighty eight, eighty nine, I think up until nineteen ninety, we still had a black white television. Right? Yeah, it wasn't my grandmother's television, so <laughs> we had just moved to New Zealand. So. <laughs> I think we don't, we, in fact, at about the same time, if I can just add my two cents in, at about the same time, we'd gotten our first TV because we never had a TV until then. Yeah. Uh, of course, it was color, obviously, by then. Well, yeah, you, you, you can't buy, buy a new, new black and white. Got color. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that was our, our first TV in 1990. I, I remember, and I was, I must have been, oh, I don't know what age, probably 13 or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 13. Anyway, I'm probably giving too much uh, away on here. You know, they might get some stalker trying to work out stuff, and now they've just got my age. All I need is my date of birth, and they can get in my bank account. Anyway. Uh, well, what- yeah, with, with social engineering. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's not draw any more attention to that. Um, let's talk about CES now. This is our, We'll finish off with a few CES stories. Now, obviously, you and I didn't go. We don't have the big budget that the, the big podcast networks have. Indeed, indeed. But you know what? Uh, I think, you know, to be, to be fair, it's been probably reported to death everywhere. And so we're not going to go in depth on any one topic, but let's just bring a few highlights out, things that perhaps caught our eye or caught our attention from the news mm-hmm. stories. And I thought I'd kick off by, well, actually, I'll tell you what, we can have a little bit of laugh at Sony. Why don't we do that? Because uh, both Samsung and Sony were showing off their, you know, display technologies. Oh, the the other the, the 4K new TVs? OLEDs, yeah, yeah, 4K OLED TVs, and of course, 4K. You know, the thing is, I I'm glad I didn't buy an HD TV yet because uh, you know everything's going 4K now and above. But it, it, <laughs> yeah, everything's going 4K and above, uh, but you're also thinking that that's also probably going to be the price. And above. Yeah, but having said that, you're, you're absolutely right, Brett. That cost a 
pa- you know, a packet compared to, say, a standard HD TV. But oh, yeah. in years to come, you know, in two or three years, that'll, of course, drop. Now, Sony, the bit I'm laughing about, of course, is Sony did a, a, a attempted, a, attempted is the right word here. They attempted a demo of their TV, but... All they could really end up displaying is a BIOS configuration screen, which didn't oh really dear. show off much of the pixels, did it? Oh, dear. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not oh, unless no. it was a 4K BIOS screen. <laughs> oh, never did that, those white fonts on the blue background look so crisp and clear, eh? Yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing with – he did well, though. The CEO uh, of, of Sony did a good job of staying cool and calm and just – pressed on with it instead of, of uh, you know, instead it, of fumbling about. It's always going to be products that don't, the display model doesn't work. That's right. Uh, you know, and but, what but can you do? Sony is one of the ones you would have expected to have a, a display model that did work. Now, if I understand correctly, it was, was it the actual TV that failed or was it something that was plugged into it? Was the bio, I couldn't figure out whether it was the BIOS of the TV or the BIOS of, say, a computer that was plugged in because I was wondering, I was just thinking, what are they actually going to bring up on the TV? It's not going to be, there's no 4K TV. Are they 4K TV broadcasts? No, I'm, no. I don't what think it would have been would have been a, a computer, right? An HD 1080 upscaled. Oh, do you think? Yeah. Or they would have, I, I had, know if or it would have been photos. possibly a, a connection or to a, a computer. Yeah, or a video. To or try or, to show something in a higher resolution. Yeah, that's right. That's what, well, that's what I wondered. So I couldn't figure I don't out. I know they were was, talking about. Talking about stuff, uh, hardware within the TV which can upscale from full HD. But it's never the same. It's never quite, you know, as good. You you can't. You you can't. You can't. can't (laughs) Quite frankly, you know, full HD is still pretty freaking amazing on a television. So (laughs) I don't know. We won't be saying that in five or ten years. We'll be saying, oh God, did we listen? Used to listen, watch that. It's a bit like AM to FM. AM sounded fine (laughs) until FM came along. No, I know what you're saying. You're right, I don't though. I was ever fine. Sorry? <laughs> I don't think AM was ever fine. Okay, what about DVDs? Oh, DVD, DVDs were fine. Remember remember when DVDs yeah, DVC, were fine? DVDs are still fine. Oh, do you think? Yeah. Not on your TV. You've got a 55-inch HD TV. And, you... and my DVDs look freaking amazing do on they? it. Yep. Surely they look JPEG-y. No, not a bit. Really? Freaking amazing. The only ones that look kind of JPEGy are my classic movies. Oh, is, is the old stuff got different all, compression? You know, stuff that's been converted from really old film. Ah, uh, right. Like my Metropolis. Metropolis looks kind of pixelated-y, but that's because it itself was, you know, old school film. <laughs> it's been should... digitally touched up, but it's still not full HD quality. My full collection of 40 Towers looks pretty bad. In fact, I should bring that around to your place and we should watch a bit of 40 Towers. Yeah. Bit of a laugh. I'd quite enjoy watching some 40 Towers. Over a drink or three. That'd be, that'd be good. Indeed. I'll have to do that sometime. <laughs> we'll we'll <laughs> do it on a Sunday. <laughs> and do the show. Yeah, that's right. Podcast while watching 40 Towers. <laughs> I think that'd be too distracting. I wouldn't get much podcasting done. You know that. Um, oh, yeah, the, it'd just be the Faulty Towers episode. Oh, right. We just broadcast that. Yeah, we could. We could do. We'd have to pay some some hefty licenses. Oh no, we don't. We don't broadcast anything from the DVDs. We just broadcast us talking about the DVDs about oh, the episode. Oh, okay. Right? A commentary on it. Yeah, we, we, we could do that. <laughs> I'm sure we could do that. <laughs> we could do it in the style of what was, what was that the one? Style that of di- mystery science theater. Well, 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 no, I was thinking that there was a video that went round. It was the Irish, 
what was it? Some Irish com. It was fake. Obviously, it was some Irish commentators comment commenting on some sporting event. I think, or was it a motorsport? It was a motorsport. Yeah. I think. No, a yacht race. It was a yacht race. It did the rounds on the internet a couple of years back, and um, they, they, it's done in the style of they know nothing about yachting, and of course they, in fact, the, the whole thing's a bit of a joke because the, the, the race hasn't even started. They're just doing, you know, how they sort of maneuver at the beginning to try and get to the start line when it's yeah. you know go time. They were pretending they didn't realise this. Oh, it's going to be very. Oh, it's getting closer and closer to this race. Everyone's coming to the finish line at the same time, and of course it's a start line and. I've got to put a link to that somewhere. I've, I've just talked about it enough. I'll put a link on our show notes. I don't. You obviously haven't seen that one. No, I have not seen that. Okay, I'll, I'll have to. I'll send it to you, and I'll put it in our show notes if I can find it. it it's class. <laughs> I've kind of given the game away now, but yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it'll. It's but still. It it's still funny. Anyway. Yeah, it's still funny. Yeah, absolutely. Now, obviously, Panasonic was another uh, uh, company that uh, showed off their new stuff at CES. They've got. Uh, a 4K Windows 8 tablet. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? A 4K that, that is, Windows 8 tablet. A 4K Windows 8 tablet. So a tablet has to be, you know, you've got to be talking about something that is 17-ish inch. Oh, what sort of size are we talking about here, Ed? We're not talking like a 20 or a 26 inch, are we? Because no, it's a twi- that's it's not a, a tablet. It's, it's a 20 that's inch. A mat. It's a 20 inch. Okay, we're getting towards a mat size. That's, that's, <laughs> a mat. A it's, mat. A, it's, it's yeah, it's a mat size. That's not a tablet. Oh, or, or it's a, a, small it's a tabletop. Side table. Yeah, it's a ta- yeah. exactly. It's a tabletop. It's, it's uh, a table. Yeah, <laughs> it's a table PC, not a tablet PC. That's yeah, that's not it. A take the tea. Take the tea away. And twenty inches, four K. Who in their right mind is going to notice the difference? Actually, you're right. At that si- actually, you've got a point. At that size. 4K is irrelevant. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 about the same as a standard. At that size, 4K is purely them having a a, a laugh. Oh well, here we, you're right, Brett. It's it's basically uh, 230 pixels per inch, which is not that great. So it's okay, nothing to be sneezed at, but it's uh, it's it's not ultra high definition or anything. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, if they. Uh, squeeze it into a seven inch. Wow, that'd be very crisp and clear. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's much it, use for a twenty inch tablet? I mean, what would you? No. No, not a tablet. Well, what would you do? Uh, what would you do with this device? How would you use it? You would put it on a table and keep it in a meeting room or something, maybe. Yeah, but even then, it's still too small. Because mm. okay. How big's your? How big's the monitor that sits on your desk at work? I think it's, it's a ni- nineteen. Inch. Yeah, it's about the same. Is oh. it? Yeah, I've only got. So a, I've got, only got a nineteen. Inch. Oh, okay. What have I you got? Was, I thought it was bigger. No, no. Um, well, actually, no. I lie. The the Mac's uh, twenty. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I've got a Mac and another monitor, but the monitor's nineteen. The Mac's twenty. Yeah, yeah. Um, the my um the desktop PC is. Yeah, I think it's a twenty-one. You've got a twenty-one. So imagine one of those flat. Yeah, I. Yeah. No, no, you well, imagine people crowding around you around that. Now okay, imagine. What about, okay, what about a two or three person a meeting? Table. A two or three a person. Two or three, yeah, that's that, fine. That would be fine, right? Yeah, it'd be perfectly fine. But then you're starting to get as to why it. Yeah, it's too big. It's not a tablet. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, Panasonic thinks that they've got something there. What else was at CES? Anything? I think for groups and meetings, it it'd probably go down go down a treat because it kind of fill the, the the role of what the Microsoft Surface original version um, was touted as. Remember when Microsoft came out with their first thing about oh, Surface? Oh, yeah. Which that, was that projected thing on a, on, a, on a table. On a table, yeah. I, yeah. I, I must admit, I laughed when I saw that. Mm. I, thought, I thought that was a, a complete spoof. I thought that was a something, some satire there, but it was real. Mm. Yeah. It was a proof of concept. I thought it was a joke. No, no, proof of concept. That is a brilliant idea. Gigantic meeting table that is an interactive display. The things you can do with that in a meeting sort of situation. It'd be great. But, they, yeah. So I can see this sort of device taking off in, in business. But if you're a, a home user and you buy one, I, I have to wonder what's wrong. <laughs> Why is your current tablet slash desktop slash notebook not good enough <laughs> that you need to fill the niche with a honking great heavy device? Yeah, must weigh a ton. That, that it, is touch. It must weigh a ton. Because you're not going to be wanting to sit on the couch with that thing. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be comfortable. No, you're right. Would not be comfortable. You wouldn't want to read with it. It's something to sit flat on a desk or a table and hover over. What about using it as a display screen just on the, on the wall of an office or in a commercial environment? You could probably that's, do that too. Though or I am interactive kiosk damn well, I could be damn well certain that you would get something that is significantly cheaper already on the market. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, exactly. That would, that would cost a packet, I imagine, too. Now, yeah, what, else, what else happened in C... It's big what, gimmick is the fact that it's 4K. Yeah, I know, because like you say, at that size, it should be 4K. <laughs> Yeah. Now, Brett, what else happened at CES? Anything catch your attention? Oh, I quite liked the one of Samsung's devices that they um, that they put out. You know, Samsung does all kinds of devices, and they always have a, a pretty good presentation. At, they do. Uh, at says, um, but one of my favourite Samsung devices, and I'm not going to talk. I'm not even going to talk about Samsung's neat foldable OLED displays, which they always pull out. But oh, yes. Yeah, they're, okay. They're saying that they're coming closer and closer to actually having a product that they will sell with a folded OLED display. But no, no, this is not that. This is not that at all. It is the T9000 Samsung refrigerator. Ah, yes. That is cool. That is cool. Yep. yep. Has French stores, an LCD screen, Evernote integration for your iPad. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. And it's got an inventory, right? The uh, the, uh, yeah, the touch screen you can, can be you can touch screen can manage inventory, yeah. grocery lists. See what is what's expiring recipes. soon. Yeah. Keep, yeah, keep track of the schedule of stuff that's going in there. Sync it with your calendar, so you know. Whoop, milk's out. Got to go update that. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is cool. It is very cool. I, I saw that and I thought, wow. I mean, you know, I'm impressed with my fridge. It's a Samsung as well. And all it has is an, an ice maker. And I thought that was kind of cool. You fill up a little container with water and ice <laughs> pops out in the freezer. That is, that is very neat. I, was, I thought that was cool. But that's nothing compared to this. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just, uh, I was just given uh, uh, the producer just in my ear there told me that the fridge is not actually a Samsung. It's a Mitsubishi. 
<laughs> it's a Mitsu- sure? uh, the, the one I'm talking about is a Mitsubishi Electric. Not a Samsung, uh, sorry. Even so, the, the point remains, I was impressed by that because uh, the eyes, but this, uh, I mean, that's got nothing on this thing. I mean, look, look at this. LED. And also, doesn't it have a, a compartment that, that can be switched between... Oh, yeah, it can be either a freezer or a fridge. Now, that is cool. So you can, depending on, you know, changing needs, you can alter the uh, the amount of space you dedicate to uh, to, uh, to fridge and versus freezer. That's that's a cool yep. feature. Yeah. It is very But does cool, it yeah. connect to Twitter? <laughs> does it tell Oh, yeah. Does it tweet um, when you're out of milk? Or does it tweet when... Edwin made a, uh, a sneaky trip to the fridge in the middle of the night and stole a pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Mm. Uh, one of the other things I thought was neat and is, you know, it's completely re- relevant to, to us in the, in the podcasting industry was Blue. You've heard of Blue microphones, right? Mm-hmm. Blue makes some absolutely amazing microphones and they debuted their newest microphone for podcasties called the Nessie. The Nessie. I did see that actually. And I thought, yeah, I thought of us. I did. I thought of us. I thought, you know, we could we could get a Nessie. Yeah, yeah. Professional grade pop filtering, shock mounted design. It'd go it'd work brilliantly when we're podcasting from the pub. Yeah, now we talked about that, didn't we? About moving away from a studio environment to to a, a live pub sort of environment. So that, that way yeah. we can get tiddly while we talk. <laughs> Who says we don't? Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah look, then it won't and, be a podcast. We'd be having a pubcast. Yeah, oh, I like that. A pub. Now, by the way, being a Mac user, one of the things that Mac users find quite frustrating is a lot of the time, not always, obviously, but a lot of the time when new products come out, they're for PC only. i got to say, this Nessie works not only on Windows 8, Windows 7, Vista, and XP, but also on Mac OS X, right back as t- uh, as far as 10.4 or higher. So that uh, is really, really good. That is indeed yep. very, very cool. Well done to the guys at Blue. Yep. Yep. You make some great microphones. Absolutely. I was just looking at the uh, uh, the the specs for it, uh, 20 uh, hertz to 20 kilohertz. Uh, I guess that's what you expect at the higher end. So, you know, that's, you know, uh, it can mm-hmm. sample up to 48 kilohertz. Cool. Yeah, it looks like a really decent, decent uh, addition to the uh, to the audio gear. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, other neat gadget, I could go on about neat gadgets that came up at says because I, I like the weird gadgets, uh, but I like weird gadgets that are usable. Um, is the you know we we talked and we talked to the the, the inventors of that um, pinch style mouse. That's right. I do remember that on one yeah. of our episodes. Yep. Yeah. Well, this is something that is kind of related in the fact that it's a mouse and that you control it in a non-standard way. Basically, you slip a little ring onto your finger and it presents you with a little touch surface under your thumb. That is the mouse touch surface. Now, I saw and then it's that. got a left and right yeah. mouse click on either side of it and another button which activates a laser pointer so that you can use it for controlling presentations in the mouse on display screens. You know, at first it's I thought cool. I, at first my reaction was this is kind of gimmicky, but then I thought about it some more and, and as you've described Think about it, it, it has in some use. Exactly. <laughs> it has some real proper, you know, some use cases. Yeah, yeah, you don't like with the you know, a lot of the tech manufacturers produce 
presentation style controllers. Logitech has an entire range of presentation controllers. Microsoft has presentation controllers, which are basically some button clicks and a laser pointer. Uh, but this one is the first that I've seen, which actually has pretty much a, a nub and mouse and full mouse functionality and the laser pointer that you just, and it's tiny. Yeah, it, it is. It's it on is. your finger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which means you can still gesticulate with it on <laughs> no, without laser pointering somebody in the eye. Mind you, that might still happen though, wouldn't it? Oh, indeed, if you're holding down the button. If you're holding down you're the button, you're gesticulating. You, yeah. then, then but I guess it's easier to let go of the button because you're not holding a device, you're wearing the device. Exactly, mm. exactly. Now, by the way, the show you were referring to uh, before was when we talked to Grant Odgers from SwiftPoint, covered in uh, episode 110. Incidentally, that episode was titled... Robots which sit in cars drinking beer. And by the way, for those listeners out there who, who don't know this already or who have not sus- suspected this already, all our titles, all our show titles are taken from quotes within the show. So at some point in episode 110, we said, or one of us said, robots which sit in cars drinking beer. I have no idea who said that particular quote, but it was said in there somewhere. So if you want to play a little game, yeah, if you want to play a little game as a listener, you can kind of see whether you can spot the quote in the show. (laughs) That made the title. That made the title, that's right, yeah. Uh, Let's see, what else is neat in tech that has been showcased at Says? What about the the car console? The car console? I didn't really look at the car consoles because the car stuff hasn't massively change and most of the things which they put into the car consoles these days I, I end up going wow there's a there's another thing to distract the driver and cause them <laughs> yeah, to crash well, seeing as I, yeah. I read a newspaper article this very day tallying up the number of road deaths caused by phone related distractions yeah, it seems like we're putting more and more in front of the drivers <laughs> and, and but, more but and more thing- drivers are thinking that they can oh I'm just sending a text of course, I can be on the motorway driving at 100 kilometres an hour and send a text. Oh, too many have proved that that's not true, eh, Brett? Indeed, far too many. But you know, uh, and so that's this, all I see in uh, uh, well, uh, the, the, the car tech stuff. There's more stuff on the dashboards to distract the driver. Well, this one uh, was that uh, I think it was a GM has announced that it's open sourcing. Well, not really open sourcing, rather, but it's it's opening up. It's console platform to third-party app developers. Ooh. Mm. So you can get... Excellent. New, you could get new apps. I don't I really think what they would do. the console system doesn't have any integration with the actual electronics yeah, exactly, that control that's the Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because otherwise they're yeah. opening themselves up to, <laughs> Ooh, here, install yeah. this really cool app which makes this scantily clad woman dance around on the screen in front of you, in, <laughs> on your car. Uh, yes. And also puts in a Trojan. That means that it applies the brakes whenever you hit 120 <laughs> <laughs> acceleration. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I'm sure they've thought about that, but certainly it's, yeah, it's yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm sure they have. <laughs> but it, it's nice to, yeah, it, it'll be nice to have some sort of third-party apps that can do some, you know, because I'm sure people who drive these, now, I, look, I'll be honest with you, my car's not that flash, so I don't have this. But, uh, you know, but I'm sure it's been the case where if you're driving one of these cars, you've thought, why they, why didn't they do this this way or why can't I do well, that I think using this method? I think the biggest... The biggest boon will be the car tweakers. The performance car enthusiasts love 
tweaking the performance of their cars. And cars these days, the performance thereof is controlled more and more by the electronic computing system. But would, they, would, they, go, would they go that far with, with this oh, yes. dash? Would they yeah, allow yeah. this? Because they, these um, car enthusiasts will plug their own laptops into the car's computer system so that they can get readouts, digital readouts, just like the, the mechanics would do. When it goes into a service, they will plug their devices in so they can get the readouts and tweak them. And a lot of them will do it, you know, have it portable with them so that they can go to track days, et cetera, tweak their systems because they might have a car which doesn't allow, you know, doesn't have a sports mode. Oh, I race, see. Yep. Yep. So, so through this so they, mechanism, so they, they can do to, that. They want to directly tweak it, yep. tweak all of the different timings and everything else um, directly to control every aspect. This, if this can control those sorts of aspects or has the ability to do that, or at least, you know, or even just read all of the sensors that cars have these days and display them, that, I think that will be a boon and we'll see lots of apps for, for race day enthusiasts giving them all the sorts of stuff about measuring their track times, having GPS layouts of the course that they're on, allowing them to choose their different race modes and uh, save timing settings. That'd be neat. That'd be neat. I think it's cool. Yeah, I, I, I can see what you're saying here. I just wasn't sure that initially they would they would allow that, but it, it's making sense to me when you, yeah. um, once well, you've now that you've described it. Depending on what it allows interactions with, it's a two-way street. It's either going to be really cool or it's going to open up cars to viruses and, and Trojans. <laughs> mm, so that having it open it up to access the, the, electron, the, the electronic control system would be neat for car enthusiasts, being able to develop apps, et cetera, or download apps which allow them to, to press buttons on their console and tweak the performance or monitor the performance. But on the flip side, it does mean that you could get malicious stuff that gets put on there and isn't caught in time and suddenly cars automatically accelerate in the wrong, <laughs> the yeah, wrong way, yeah, yeah. etc. It, it could you, go you, good. You don't want to cross that safety barrier. There's yeah, a, barrier, there's yeah. a, a sort of line, if you like. Exactly. Um, and, and you don't want to cross the line that goes into the sa safety realm because... You, yeah. you want to have some extra steps to be able to cross but, that line. Exactly. Now, Brett, was there anything else from CES or shall we wrap it up uh, there? The last one that I wanted to talk about, um, which I don't think we've talked about before, is the the next step past 802.11n. Oh, the, the AC. New, is new, it AC? Yeah, the gigabit capable wireless Wi-Fi. Yes, um, AC. 802, 802 11 AC. Yeah. And it's kind of the the other one which goes kind of hand in hand with that, the the step into the 60 gigahertz band for the 802.11 AD. So you, the really short range. Oh, I, wireless, hadn't heard, I hadn't heard about the AD. Which is, which is, you know, significantly faster than 802.11 AC. But the the, the frequency range, 60 gigahertz, has a much smaller range. Yeah. So this is more a, but it is a kind of a, a, a Wi-Fi equivalent replacement to um, USB 3.0 HDMI display port PCI. It, it has that sort of speed. And so if you had peripherals which were built with the, with 802.11 AD, you could use those as, as the wireless connection oh, I see. for transferring from your, you know, your external hard drive to your, to your PC or your, your, your server through Wi-Fi instead of through a 
USB or Firewire port. So this AC is going to, as you said, replace where we've got to now, which is 802.11n. Mm. So it's like the next the step. next step up, yeah. Taking us into gigabit-capable Wi-Fi. N lasted a long while, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, well, I know it was in, in draft the, for a the, while. The but. complications of taking it to get a gigabit over Wi-Fi was quite challenging. But it, it seemed like AB... Either it was it, quite challenging or the licensing <laughs> was yeah. quite prohibitive. Yeah, it yeah, could well be there, couldn't it? <laughs> there were because lots it, of it just, patents stopping people from developing within that range. Well, it seemed that A, B, and G seemed to move on reasonably quickly. I mean, G, G wasn't around for that long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It got onto N get, really quickly. If you got a G device, which wasn't GN, then something was odd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So N lasted quite a while. So the, anyway, this yeah, so that's a good point, uh, Brett. That, that, this is a good story because this will mean higher speeds. The theory, What was the highest theoretical on this? Was it five gigabits per second? Yeah, that's right. Five, yeah, five gigabits per second. Yeah, but of course, that's a theoretical limit. Uh, you know, the mm. the the actual real life speed is going to be a lot less than that. Yeah, but uh, but you know, if you're comparing apples with apples, and you compare the highest theoretical limit with, uh, say, N versus AC, you'll still get an idea of how many times faster it's going to be in real life. Mm-hmm. Even though the the actual figures are low, if you understand what I'm saying, the ratio should be you'd expect to be more or less the same. Well, that was it. That was a, a good selection from there, from uh, CES 2013. A and tiny, tiny sliver. Oh, of yeah. The I mean, that went yeah. on as, as, as always goes. Didn't even go into, I, I think we might have mentioned previously the Pebble, the um, e ink um, yeah, crowdfunded right. watch. Um, but there were several e ink smartwatches um, on display at, at SAS. A uh, really cool one, which is pretty much a, a millimeter thick, and that's including the battery and the controller chip. Wow, one millimeter. Yeah. Oh, how do they do that? <laughs> that's some serious engineering, man. Being allows them to do that. Yeah, that is cool. That is very cool. So you, you're right, Brett. Though there is far too much to cover at CES. It's just huge. Uh, and, and, you know, it's also been reported to death. So that's why we're not going to, you know, we're not going to give um, a really in-depth look at anything here. This is just a sort of a selection. If, you, if you've been a bit busy during the week and you haven't really uh, got to re- read some of the stories, that was just a little taster. Obviously, a little it, taster if, of some of the, the, the cool, exactly. random sorts of things. Obviously, if you're really into something, uh, you'll read up about it later in, in, at some of the other sites. But uh, that's a mm. little taster, as we said of some of the cool stuff at CES this year. And as such, concludes the first episode of The Boys of Deck for 2013. And actually, yeah, you know we made we, it. You know, we made it, exactly. We've yeah, done, we've we done, made it to 2013, the world didn't end, we, you know, just because we stopped podcasting. <laughs> that's it was, right. Um, yeah, it was... <laughs> we've done four years now. Now, I'll tell you what, wow. I'll tell you what I do have. <laughs> I've got some stats, and I'll just read this. This is live. I've, I've just thought of this now. This wasn't planned. Uh, we've done 196 episodes, a total audio nonstop of 127 hours. Whoa. I don't even know how many days that is. 127 <laughs> divided by 24 is 5.3 days worth of audio. Wow, 5.3 days of, of us talking. Wow, that's scary. The, the, lo- 
<laughs> just as well that's over 196 episodes, right? Yeah. The average episode length, if you work it out, is 39 minutes. We have covered, over the four years, 1,352. That's 1,352 topics. The average number of topics per episode is seven, and the average duration that we spend talking about a topic on the show is six minutes. There's some stats wow. for you. Interesting. Yeah. Must be really bored. Well, no. So, worked out all of those stats. Oh, no, no. I've got an automatic. No, <laughs> no it's, all, it's all automatic. Uh. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't know why. I don't see why I shouldn't make this public. If you go to boysatech.com slash stats, you'll see exactly that. Well, uh, until we upload this episode and then in the middle of <laughs> change. Which will all the stats completely. Well, not completely. Make everything that we just bit. said a lie. <laughs> Yeah, there'll be it'll be a little bit different. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> and also, you know, I don't see why we shouldn't get listeners' opinions on the you know that we kind of talked about the format change, going from a, a sort of a live studio feel to a uh, to a sort of a raw a sort of a rawer sort of podcast by doing it live at a pub or something. And, and you mm-hmm. know, people could even join us. You know, if you're in the Wellington region, you wanna you wanna join us. You could even ha- have a chat on the show and, and put your two cents in. Mm-hmm. Good think about that. Indeed. You know, other than that, we could, we'd find a quiet corner and, and sort of do it from, from those sorts of premises. Should think about mm. that. Let us know what you think. Send us some Indeed. email or drop drop us a comment at boysatech.com. Indeed. Get on there. Tell us. Yep. Tell us what you think. All right. In the meantime, that is it. And from the live studio, I'm out of here. Brett, thank you very much for co-hosting the very first episode this year. Always a pleasure, Ed. And you know what? More importantly, and I think I did say this on the last episode last year, but thank you for your co-hosting right through the four years that we've done the podcast. My God, four years. You were there from day one. To think you talked me into this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's been, it's been a blast though. We've met a lot of interesting people on the show. We have and, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that will continue. So Brett, thank you once again and we'll see you all again next week for another episode. Till then everyone, take care. Goodbye. Ciao.